Speaking of Travel is sponsored by the Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. And when you fly home, you're home. Plan your next trip at flyavl.com. Appalachian Realty. If you're looking for a home in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit AppalachianRealty.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 101.1 FM The Revolution. And be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net. And you can sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club and receive really great news and travel tips. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode on the speakingoftravel.net website, on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So you have no reason not to listen to these amazing podcasts. And you can follow Speaking of Travel on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, you know, just recently I did something that I had never done before. I got up on stage and did a whole six-minute review. It was a big talk, and I'll tell you what, I was so afraid. You know, it really takes courage to stand up and face your fears, whether it's traveling to a new destination you've never visited before or moving to a new town, even having stage fright. Running forward, not away from a challenge, takes everyday acts of bravery. And you know what? Sometimes in life, you just can't fix what's broken or replace what's lost. When you hit a wall, starting over takes acts acts of everyday bravery. Well, in January of 2015, my guest today, Kenny Caps, who's an avid ultra marathon runner from Black Mountain, had to stop running after being diagnosed with stage two multiple myeloma, which currently has no cure. And today, Kenny is a cancer patient advocate and adventurer, executive director of Throwing Bones for a Cure, and just an all around great guy. <laughs> Kenny, I am so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been following you and um, uh, for quite some time when you came out and, and told everybody what was going on. Uh, it was – I look at that as an act of bravery. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, – your. first I want to talk about your running because mm-hmm. it says uh, you were an avid ultra-marathon runner. What in the world does that even mean? <laughs> um, well, I, I was uh, – ultra-marathon is anything more than a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. Um, typically, the first step up from that is a 50K. And honestly, I haven't run a lot of distances that are more than <clears throat> than 50 kilometers. But uh, so, but I've, I've run 40 and I've run 50 uh, miles you know, at, a, at a single time. Um, and I, I guess I do that somewhat re- regularly, so I guess it makes me avid. Um, that's not to say that I'm really, really good at it, but I, but I do it a lot, um, and so and I enjoy it. 
And did you always do it? Were you a kid that ran a lot, like, run, Forrest, run? <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, I really started doing that in, uh, well, I started out uh, cycling, actually. My father actually bought me my first road bike when I, I think I was 13. Um, and so I started hanging out with all the uh, the road bike guys, and, and well, and the BMX guys, because back then mountain bikes weren't a thing. Um, and... Uh, learning how to fix them and play with them and so forth. And then in high school, I picked up the running bug and started running and across country um, along with other sports. But that was probably the, my main one. Um, and I just kept at it through years, uh, through different stuff. And I mean, I even swam in high school and I swam. Uh, and so endurance sports probably were more my thing than anything else. And I sort of stuck with it over the years. Well, that's doing anything endurance. Yeah. Um, it, it, keeps on going sure so tell me a little bit about when it stopped like how did sure, that well, come I mean, about I, I guess uh so in 2014 i was uh i was feeling pretty crummy um and i was having trouble uh getting uh over what i thought was the flu i felt achy and 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 i hurt so i went to my local uh primary care physician and um, he did a blood test and he called me after the test. He called me and said, well, you don't have the flu, but you're anemic, and uh, which is unusual. At the time, I was 43 and otherwise pretty healthy. I, I wasn't a vegetarian, but I ate very well and was probably more vegetarian than not vegetarian. My wife is vegetarian. And, um, and so we, but, but my health and nutrition was something that I actually focused on quite a bit. And so it was unusual. So he said, come back in, let's do some more tests. Um, and he said, we, did, you know, saw lots of different doctors for headaches and, um, uh, eye doctors and so forth, check for anything, tumors and so forth behind the eyes. And so he said, I know enough about hematology to be dangerous. And so he sent me another, uh, to a local oncologist, hematologist and, I'll be honest with you, I pulled in the parking lot and said, huh, a hematologist, that's that's the same thing as an oncologist, isn't it? Isn't it? Yep, still walked in there, completely oblivious, oblivious had <laughs> no idea that that was what the likely um, diagnosis was going to be. But he sat us down and said, so you have these proteins in, in your system that are replicating themselves. He said, do you know what that means? I said, well, that sounds like cancer. <laughs> he said, yeah, it is. It's cancer. Um, and so he says, and right now, he says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to Google this. Um, and I want you to, and I need you to get a second opinion, not as to whether you have it, but I need, let's, let's talk about what your next step is. What's, what's the treatment? And part of that's going to depend on how sick are you? Cause we don't know yet. Um, and so, of course, the first thing I did is I went home and I stayed up till four o'clock in the morning, googling it, um, exactly, and uh, and and scaring the heck out of myself and uh, and everybody around me, and because um, it's a scary disease, because right now even I think the uh, average life span or mortality rate after diagnosis is I think it's five to eight years now. I think it bumped it up, but at the time they said three to five years. Everything that I could find on Google. Um, so I'm thinking, well, okay, well, that doesn't give me a whole lot of time to do stuff. So, um, so after I got over that initial shock, we started looking around to see what it is that I could do um, and, and who I needed to talk to. And I knew I needed to find a specialist. And one uh, thing about myeloma is that because it's not as common, it's the second most common blood cancer. Most everybody knows about leukemia, um, but it's not, it is not anywhere close to as common. There are about 30,000 new myeloma diagnosis a year in, in the United States. 
which is pretty small uh, compared to other cancers, breast cancer, prostate cancer, leukemia, lymphoma. Um, and so uh, I had to find out where they had specialists. One is in uh, one was there was there is a, a group in at Duke, um, and generally the, the major areas are Duke, Emory, uh, in Atlanta, Dana Farber up in Boston area, uh, MD Andrews. I'm down in uh, Texas, uh, 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 the Sam Walton Center, which is in Arkansas. Um, who, who Sam Walton passed away of multiple myeloma. Um, there is, of course, the Mayo Clinic out in uh, Minnesota, which is where Tom Brokaw, who also had myeloma, was uh, treated. And um, and so the, the, those are the big groups, right? The big institutes. Right? So we we started with Duke. Um, it didn't quite was wasn't quite the right fit. So I found one of the top guys actually in the world um, in research, um, Sagar Lonial, uh, in uh, in Atlanta at Emory. And I happened to be lucky enough to have a friend whose sister um, was being treated there. Um, and so they got us in to talk to him, even though he wasn't taking new patients. And we went to him, and it was a great fit. He was perfect. It was wonderful. And we learned a lot. And we learned a lot about um, what my symptoms were and what we needed to do next. Because at the time, they did a bone marrow biopsy, and they said 80% of my plasma, um, which is in, in my bone marrow, which is in, inside my bone marrow, which makes up a good chunk of your immune system, and also, of course, it spreads all over your body, um, was eaten up with the cancer at the time. And so, but we didn't know what that means because otherwise it didn't seem like it was symptomatic. The day I was diagnosed, I ran 13 miles. So um, I didn't know. I didn't know what it is I was looking at. So they said, okay, we, we x-rays don't do anything. I need to look at your bones because that's typically a, a big chunk of the place where we find um, issues, um, lesions or holes in your bones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. And so they said, well, what we've got is we've, uh, we, you have bones everywhere. You've got lesions everywhere. After you've done a PET scan, we discovered you have it in your clavicle, your sternum, your rib cage. You've got a three millimeter hole in your hip. Yeah. So, so you were, you know, it, it's, I always, in the show biography, sure. there's, you know, you get to know somebody and then sure. they have this low point and then yeah. they rise back up. Yeah. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to rise back up. Excellent. With Kenny Caps. This is Marilyn Ball. We'll be right back. This is Tina Kinsey with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. We've all been behind that person. She's ahead of you in the boarding process. She finally gets to her seat, and then she spends several minutes unloading items from her carry-on bag and purse that she needs with her. After that, she lifts her suitcase to the overhead bin, only to find that there isn't a spot directly next to her seat, and asks everyone to back up so she can stow her bag. Frustrating? Yes. Avoidable? Absolutely. Here's a great tip. Put all of your in-flight necessities, such as cell phone, charging cord, earbuds, glasses, snack, and hand sanitizer, in a resealable gallon-sized bag, pop it in an easy-to-access spot in your carry-on bag, and then grab it quickly, toss it into your seat, and stow your bag without delay. Your fellow passengers will appreciate the pre-planning, and you'll look like a travel pro. Thanks for listening. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out.
any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. The holiday issue of Blue Ridge Motorcycling Magazine arrives soon. This issue features motorcycle travel stories on the Biltmore Estate, East Tennessee Covered Bridges, and stops at Madison County Brewing in Marshall. Get your copy on newsstands now or subscribe at BlueRidgeMotorcyclingMagazine.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, and I'm here with Kenny Caps today. And Kenny, I am um, a big fan. Thanks. Let's just say that. Um, Ditto. Thank you. So I'm moved by your story uh you know obviously this could happen to anybody yeah right sure. i mean it does every what did you say Thirty thousand people a year About Thirty thousand people a year yeah. right here in the united states mm-hmm. you know that sounds smothers but it's yep. big so here you are now you've gotten this diagnosis you know obviously running and endurance being strong is a big part of who you are who you've been mentally and physically um and now you're suddenly faced with new questions um things that you never even thought how do you even ask the questions if you don't know what they are that's right but you found this great doctor down at emory and Mm -hmm. tell us what happened at that point so i mean the they discovered of course that i was I was sick, and again, it was a stage two, um, which in, and in myeloma parlance, there's only three stages. So it was sort of what they would consider moderately aggressive. So it needed to be handled, and handled soon. And so, and their biggest concern was that I wouldn't break anything. I broke a hip, then I'd have even more problems, of course. Um, I did have two spinal fracture, uh, fractures in my spine, uh, compression fractures, um, but they'd already started to heal themselves a little bit. So they just need to address that and get done, but then need to give my body time. So they immediately cut me off from running so I couldn't run, which is hard for somebody like me because that's my coping mechanism. Um, so I decided to take up drinking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I, I, I went back to the pool, which I actually had not been in the pool for almost 20 years at that point, or, or maybe more than 20 years since I had graduated from high school. So that was a learning experience again. Um, so, and, and so I had to effectively change who I was a little bit while they started really treating me with the, with the harsh stuff um, to um, um, really get me um, uh, uh, under control and try to really knock down the cancer before I went through a bone marrow transplant. I did that in August of that year. Um, and again, this uh, this was oh, diagnosed in January. I did a transplant in, in August, um, middle of August. And so I was in the hospital for about three and a half weeks, dead in Emory, um, came back. And, and as you can see, I'm here in Sydney. I, I typically have a lot of hair <laughs> on my head. And, uh, and so I went from a lot of hair to no hair. Um, I looked like a drowned baby rat, um, for a while, just really tall drowned baby rat. Um, 
And uh, so I recovered from that. Um, I did. I was not getting clearance to run again until uh, December of that year, uh, twenty. 20- 15, and that was light, sort of walk-jog kind of thing. By the end of January 2016, I... ran my first race back after that time. And I had not run one since I'd actually run one right before I went to my transplant, which was a little 5k. And this was a 10k, the, uh, the hot chocolate, uh, 10k here in Nashville. And then, uh, that year, by the end of 2016, I had run 16 races, um, four half marathons. One of them was, um, and all of them, of course, very slow. Um, but, uh, I was, Doing and, and I, I ran uh, the uh, Shut In Ridge Trail race, which is an 18 mile um, trail run um, up the uh, backside, up above the Arboretum here on um, Parkway, about 3,500 feet of net elevation gain. So, pretty intense uh, run, hard run. I barely made the cutoffs, but, but I did it. Um, had my son crew for me. I have a 17 year old now. And uh, so, it, it, and after that, my wife said, What next? And I hadn't thought about what next. She said, I think you need to do something. So I said, well, I think I need to do what I know. And I said, why don't we talk about how the the benefits of me being physically fit and healthy and active has benefited me and how it can benefit other cancer patients, specifically myeloma patients, through and after treatment, addressing things like pain management, um, which is a big thing because when you're dealing with all of this bone pain and compression fractures and broken bones and so forth, lesions, um, it hurts. Um, people say it runs when I hurt. Well, how, I don't see how you can do it. <laughs> it hurts when I run too. Uh, so, you know, it's what you do. Um, you either do or you don't. So anyhow, so the, so I decided let's, let's talk about that. Very quickly, it came up with the name Throwing Bones. Um, because it sort of uh, gives me multiple connotations. For one, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a jam band head from my my days at the University of Georgia and uh, uh, years ago, and uh, Grateful Dead, widespread panning, that sort of thing. And that was kind of my, my thing for a long time. So I, I guess I'm a little bit of a hippie. Um, not much, but a little bit. And uh, but also throwing bones gives an idea of th- of throwing the dice, leaving things to chance, putting putting it all out there, right? So there's a bit of that, and then of course there's the other um, entendre, which is it's about bones. A big chunk of this is about bones, and so it's about my bones. So the uh, logo that we created, I created, that I designed, um, his name is Awesome, which is O S S U M, which is Latin for bones, um, and it's a running. Um, skeleton with uh, rose petals uh, as hair, big giant rose petals for hair. Um, and and from there, I said I want to try to do something pretty dramatic. And I said, how about if I run across the mountains of Sea Trail? <laughs> my voice, my wife said, sure, sounds great. What's the mountains of Sea Trail? I think that's what I run all the time here locally in Asheville. But it does stretch from Clingman Stone, which is on the border of Tennessee, all the way to. The Outer Banks of North Carolina. So it's uh, currently, and, and it's been at different links as they've changed the trail. It's been around for over 40 years, 41 years, I think, right now, uh, since they started the Mountain Sea Trail. And so, um, but I wanted to start at the coast and work back home because I live here. I live in the mountains. Um, and I know that's harder, but uh, it, it worked for me. Um, and so I said, what if I do that? She said, okay, sure. When do you, how long do you think it'd take you to do it? I think, Two months, maybe less. She goes, ooh. 
So, and, uh, well, uh, and, and, you know, to clarify, we have three kids. So, uh, and she has a job. Uh, she's the boss. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, so was, she said, okay, let's do it. All right. So we started. That's what, that's what it started. So all of 2017 was was dedicated to planning it, organizing it, um, talking about it, training for it, such as you can for that kind of a run. Um, but the final um, route, as they finished it, as uh, going through 2017, was 1,175 miles from Jockey's Ridge to Clingman's uh, Dome. So I I kind of mapped it out in my head and then completely threw that map out uh, out the window and said that just does no good because I have no idea what the terrain's like I don't know what the weather's gonna be like I don't know how I'm gonna feel um, and so I proceeded with the process of just okay let's get a crew that can get me there and that's the main thing and so I did I pulled together a fantastic crew two top guys I mean like these guys are, these are world class guys and turned out world class friends. Um, so, uh, uh, Chuck Dale and, uh, Dean Hart, and, uh, they've both well, actually been with some of the top ultra runners in, in the world. Um, Pete Kostelnik, who actually set the record for the transcontinental from California to New York run, uh, two years ago. He also just ran this year, um, from Kenai, Alaska to Key West in Florida. Yeah. Solo. He did that one solo. No crew. Um, he pushed a baby carriage. Uh, from from Alaska to to Florida, sure did. Um, but but uh, Dean and Chuck had actually crewed him on the, that first run. Um, and they've also been with uh, Marshall Ulrich, and they've been just done some fantastic thing. Um, uh, Charlie Engel, um, they've just uh, when he ran across the Sahara Desert. Um, so these guys are just just fantastic, and they're ultra runners themselves. I mean, they're athletes and trainers and ultra runners themselves, um, and just generally, yeah. Fantastic guys. But anyway, so that's how I pulled together. So they set me up for success. They told me all I needed and everything to do to start this journey. Wow. Well, uh, one question I have is um, you were talking about throwing bones. Uh-huh. At that time, did you create this as a nonprofit at that time? Yes. Yeah, so that was the pro- that was the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And is there a website for that? Sure. It's, uh, it's throwingbonesrun.org. Good. So if if you want to find out more information, mm-hmm. go to throwingbonesrun.org. Mm-hmm. And, we've, and we've got really cool shirts and hats and oh, bottles Oh, well, there, there you too. go. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. We've got swag. Yeah, swag. That's right. We're on it. It's all all right. Swag. Kenny, when we come back, I want to talk about the, how this went. Sure. Awesome. Kenny Caps is here with me today in the studio. This is Marilyn Ball. We'll be right back. As newcomers flocked to Asheville over the last 50 years, they joined with locals to breathe new energy into the city. Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com. 
People call Asheville home for all different reasons, and they all mean a better quality of living that reflects their very own uniqueness. Whether you're looking for a funky loft in downtown Asheville, an arts and crafts bungalow in a walkable community, or a small farm to create your own artistic legacy, Appalachian Realty Associates will help you find properties as unique as you. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street, right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away, starting at Asheville Regional Airport. Fly Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. It's the top of the third here on Speaking of Travel, and time to head over to the Gourmet Highway with our good pal Doc Lawrence. Last I heard, Doc was on his way to Milledgeville, Georgia. Hey, Doc. Let's hear about this First Lady of Georgia. I've heard her classic beauty is unsurpassed. Hey, Marilyn, how many times has someone said to you, you know, a good man is hard to find? Well, I'm in the city where that question not only originated, but became the title of a book. Yes, Marilyn, I'm in Milledgeville, Georgia, the beautiful central Georgia town where the immortal Flannery O'Connor lived, wrote, and is buried. In fact, I'm here at her home, Andalusia Farm. It's now a museum dedicated to the great lady's works. Miss O'Connor raised peacocks here, and you know what the manager told me, Marilyn? They're expecting a baby peacock any moment now, and they're going to name that little critter Doc. Andalusia is a great site attracting tourists from all over the country, and for good reason. Flannery O'Connor was among the greatest writers we ever had and was quite a lady who died young of lupus. Marilyn, I got another question for you. Where was the first celebrity barbecue ever held in America? You know, the person that can answer that, I'm going to send them a bottle of good North Carolina red wine they can enjoy for the new year. But the answer is, it was here in Milledgeville, when thousands gathered to honor with barbecue and fine wine the Marquis de Lafayette, the great French military leader who helped Washington win the revolution and give America its freedom. They had thousands that came here, and I wish I could have been there with them. But it's memorialized with a mural here in the old museum that is startling and is bone-chilling. Maryland, Georgia's old state capitol building is here. It's a museum now, and you know, walking through here, it's covered with murals. There's old carpets everywhere, stained glass. There's brass, there's crystal, rich wood, and history that stirs the soul. Milledgeville was once, Maryland, tragically known for its mental health hospital and prison, but no more. 
This is a wonderful college town. It's the home of Georgia College and State University and Georgia Military College. You can see the co-eds and the cadets everywhere you go. And you know, Maryland, there's something about a college town, particularly when it's a small town, that is spiritually renewing, rejuvenating. This is paradise for someone who loves the beauty and the ethics of small-town America, where people know each other by name, and they speak, and they smile. Maryland downtown Milledgeville has sidewalks, locally-owned drugstores, fine restaurants, art galleries, and lots of window shopping. The living here is nice, and it's easy. You want outdoor recreation? Well, Lake Sinclair is just around the corner, and it is a bass fishing paradise in North America. People come here for tournaments. They serve locally caught bass and trout and crappie year-round in the local restaurants. But you know, speaking of food, I have to pick out one place, and this is difficult because the restaurants are good here. But Aubrey Lane's, yes, that's the name of a person, that's not a bowling alley, is a phenomenal fine dining gourmet restaurant. Maryland, I'm having dinner tonight at Aubrey Lane's. They've moved from downtown out to the country club, but it's open to the public. And you know, I'm already thinking about getting an appetizer of Georgia shrimp and grits, and then maybe some prime rib with vegetables, and accompany that with a bottle of Valpocello from Italy. This is an international place anyway, and we got to mix it up a little bit with our European wines. Well, Maryland, as much fun as I'm having, and as much as I love the memory and the literature of Flannery O'Connor, I guess it's time for old Doc to move on. So for now, this is Doc Lawrence for Maryland Ball, speaking of travel, on the Gourmet Highway in Milledgeville, Georgia, saying so long, and I hope to see you soon in your city. Doc, when I come down to Georgia, we are heading over to Milledgeville. What a grand place. We'll catch up next week. Bye for now. You can follow Doc's journey on the Gourmet Highway by visiting thegourmethighway.com. Well, I am here in the studio with Kenny Caps, and Kenny, I am really excited to hear this story of your run and the fact that you started at the coast. I think that's really cool. I've actually been to Jockey's ridge did you like stand up there and kind of spread your arms out and go da 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 (laughs) (laughs) sort of um it was a uh well i mean if you've been there you you know it's almost sort of uh, almost a movie set kind of place it doesn't seem real um because of the uh, sand dunes that are everywhere and the actual peak or actual jockey's ridge itself is ever moving it changes all the time there's no set Spot. There's not like a flagpole sticking in the ground that says this is Jockey's Ridge. Um, it's because it's what Jockey's Ridge happens to be whatever the highest peak is at that particular time over there on the dunes, and it's it's facing the sound side of of the coast. So we we did start there. We started there on the morning of April first. Um, took my my uh, five year old. Um, she was four at the time. Um, my four-year-old four um, set off first, and so she made it up up first. And it wasn't really uh, it, so. We just sort of followed her, and she made a little pass. It was sort of like uh, pig trails, just you know wherever she happened to go, and went up there. And so we sat up there and t- took it all in, and probably got emotional. My wife crying, um, and uh, I probably cried a little too. Um, and they just started running. 
um, yeah, I started heading out. Well, let's back up just a minute. So from the time that you made the decision to do this and you got your crew together, mm-hmm. where did you even find these guys? Like, did uh, you put a, out a Google search? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it is actually – so a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Fenton, who happens to also be on our board uh, for Throwing Bones – um, Greg moved to town from Chicago, and he had some great connections in the ultra world. He he had actually helped cruise some of the bigger races um, with with some some guys that weren't necessarily big names, but he met he got to meet a lot of them. It's a tight community once you get up there in the ultra world. And so Greg said, um, "Well, and actually he reached out to me because I had said Charlie Engel, who I mentioned earlier, was actually a good friend of his." And and I had said mentioned somebody else on a public uh, running forum, uh, running thing on social media. I'd said they'd asked somebody to ask me who my heroes were, and I said that uh, Charlie Engel was one of them. And Charlie had wrote, written a book um, called Running Man uh, a few years ago about his uh, struggles and um, struggles with sobriety, but also struggles with, with just in life, and then also how he overcame them and how running did that for him. And I just thought it was a really uh, a fantastic way to look at life. Um, and he was one of them. He's Charlie's one of my good friends and he told me about him. And so he introduced me to people that it, that he had crewed with before, not necessarily Greg, but through Charlie and through the, their connections. And so one thing led to another. I also met Sandy Vilanis. Sandy actually is the woman who holds the transcontinental record. And so, so again, through, and, and so I met her crew chief when she was doing the, her transcon run, Sandy, Transcon crew chief, and she said, "I can't do it, and um, and, and I don't have anybody with who's normally on my crew that can do it." And she said, "But you need to talk to Chuck and Dean." So I said, "Who are Chuck and Dean?" She said, "Have you seen this running Sahara with Charlie Engel?" I said, "Yeah, actually, I've, I own it." <laughs> and she said, "Yeah." She said, "Would you would you interested in talking to them?" I said, "Well, yeah." Of course, I'm thinking, "There's no way this guy's going to do it with me." I got a text from Dean probably 30 minutes later saying, "Yeah, we're into it. I already talked." Chuck, let's do it. And that was it. That was that quickly. And then so, how long did it take from the time that you got those guys to when you were standing at Chalky Ridge? <laughs> Probably two and a half months. Two and a half months? Yeah, that it was real tight. seemed like a very long time. No, it was tight. That um, is very tight. Yeah. Well, and when, I didn't have it. And you had asked me earlier off uh, uh, when we were uh, uh, at a break about how I did it, whether I had an RV. Well, I had a, a woman who has uh, who's turned out to be a friend of mine now, um, who I'd never met, who reached out to me on Facebook. I'd said, I need an RV. And she said, uh, I've got an RV and not using it, it's collecting dust. She said, come get it. So everything was falling into place. Yeah. Wow. Well, when we come back, let's talk about how, how that felt, just yeah. hang gliding off of Jockey's Ridge, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kenny Caps is here in the studio. We'll be right back. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. 
Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. As newcomers flock to Asheville over the last 50 years, they joined with locals to breathe new energy into the city. Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, and I'm here talking to Kenny Caps about this epic adventure on the Mountains to Sea Trail. He started at Jockey's Ridge, went all the way to Clingman's Dome, had it all packaged up. Things were falling into place in like two and a half months. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. So Absolutely. everybody, the family, everybody's getting all ready. Sure. So what you you got the RV mm-hmm. that was a lucky break it was yeah and you drove down mm-hmm. to the Outer Banks yep I drove from here from uh, the Asheville area down there with the family and then um, uh, and sort of and met the team met the crew there they flew in um, Dean lives in Kentucky and Chuck lives in uh, in Arkansas and so we were um, we we met at the starting line as it were. I mean, that in itself, Kenny, is just so cool because mm-hmm. it's like, wow, you know, I've got I've got all these challenges just in your health, mm-hmm. in your mental health, your physical health. Yep. Um, and here you are standing like a celebrity <laughs> with the best crew ever. Yeah. Um, so let's go. Let you know, tell sure. us about what what was that like? How long did it take? Well, and, and first, let me say also, the, so the final piece of my crew puzzle, at least at the beginning, was Madod Goldman. He's a local physician here in Asheville. He and his wife are actually physicians up here. Um, and they've turned out to be fantastic friends, too. Just awesome people. So for the first week of that uh, journey, I actually had a... a, a doctor supporter also who also was a really good cook he's amazing cook um so he was helping out cooking at the beginning of the thing so so i could go into detail and we could be here for hours but i but i think we probably don't have that long well we'll do so, a series Kenny, okay so there you we go come back but go <laughs> sure, ahead yeah. yeah um so so to to i learned a lot i've been up and down this this uh, state my whole life and there are parts of it that I've uh, that I've somehow missed and so I got to see the world on foot as it were at least the state it wasn't actually the world it's just the state um, but I got to see chunks especially the eastern part of North Carolina it was fascinating most of that trail is on uh, the road down there, partly because, not because they're lazy, um, but because it's the coastal plains and it's come, and there's a lot of swamp. There's only so much you can do without building new roads. 
because um, that's essentially what you can do. So you're either going to be trudging through swamp and, and marshland, or you're going to be on a road, and that's generally how it is. And we also hit a lot of rain, especially early on. Um, after about a week and a half, I had uh, I developed shin splints because the first six, seven days, I was probably averaging about 31 miles a day. Um, and so I was pretty beat up and I was going too fast. Also, I was, I guess I was too excited to a little too much adrenaline. And I was finishing my days that my plant at distances really quickly and I didn't have to. Um, so, um, so through the state, um, I got to see people that were somehow inspired by the journey, which was crazy. Cause I thought it was just sort of a really, almost stupid thing to do, but it was, um, it, it motivated people and inspired people. I had people that came and ran with me. Um, some who didn't run, um, most did, but not those kinds of distances. Um, some ran those distances, but they hadn't done anything of that sort of epicness before. Um, I got to, um, and we've had a lot of rain this year in North North Carolina, especially Western North Carolina flooding. By the time I got started to hit the mountains, North Carolina, when I hit Wilson's Creek, Linville Gorge area, um, nearly got washed out. It was, I was lucky that I had a buddy that was with me um, because there were stream crossings, and I started up to my chest when I had to cross them. And so we ended up getting pulled out and kicked out by rangers who said we couldn't go down there anymore, so I had to stay up on uh, on the road. So a chunk of that trail had to be on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, so we kind of ran up and around and similar issues with uh, Mount Mitchell State Park. It was just so underwater trying to go through those those areas. Um, but, you know, that was all part of the adventure. It was fantastic. So when the crew was with you, did they sleep in the va- in the camper with you? So Chuck slept with me in the RV. Um, we also had a SAG wagon, a, a, another support vehicle, and um, Dean typically slept there or he pitched a tent wow. um, out, outdoors. Um, the and it was fifty four days by the way that's how long it took me to do it. Um, we averaged about twenty two ish miles a day. Um, it, it was average in May. It was more like uh, close to twenty nine or thirty um, in May because we were making up for the fact that I got those shin splints early on and I slowed down a lot. Um, and it was really more like a, an aggressive hike at a, at a lot of chunks of it until I got to Asheville. Um, in fact, when I got to Asheville, I ran from the, um, the Folk Art Center up to Pisgah Inn, so, um, which was what, about 34 miles, I think, up. And that was, was somehow I got a lot of energy that day. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you just kind of casually say, yeah, that was uh, up. Well, that's <laughs> like really a, up. It's really Again, up. Yeah, you know, I mean, it for really any of up. us who have even driven yeah. that route, yeah. uh, I, you know, I'm in awe that – that you did that much climbing, yeah. um, but how how were you feeling as you were? Would you say fifty four days? I mean, did you have days that you felt better? That obviously you kind of kicked in there. But what about for the duration? You know, I actually overall, and maybe I'm blocking, but I, I swear I felt great um, for most of it. Um, I really did. I mean, I I hurt. Don't get me wrong. My feet um, and my shins hurt. Um, it was, it, I'd say for probably a good 30 out of the 54 days, my feet and shins were in pain, um, through, especially the starting, starting, starting was hard. Uh, 
But after that, um, you know, after I got kind of in a groove, I'd forget. Um, I'd get in. I'd get in my own head. Um, I, I have a pair of those uh, bone conducting uh, aftershocks headphones, you know, that I wear, and <laughs> and so I sometimes I do a book, sometimes I do music, but uh, and a lot of times, especially when I was really tired. Oddly enough. I didn't want to listen to anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to any, you know, I didn't, I didn't see people for, you know, a couple of hours sometimes at a time. I didn't see people at all. And so, and that was cool. I was fine with that. Um, it, uh, I know it, it, that might intimidate a lot of people. And maybe I would have thought actually it would intimidate me or make me nervous, but it didn't. I actually, I looked forward to it and got to the point where I was. I was looking forward to those moments where I was completely out there. I knew that I was miles from anybody else. Um, completely alone. And I had, uh, you know, saw, saw some bears, saw a lot of wildlife, saw a lot of tracks of different types of cats and turkeys and deer, you know. So how did you feel when it was all over? Mm. Um, you know, it was a bit, uh, both two things, two, two, in two ends of the spectrum, I mean, um, ecstatic that I did this, um, that we did this, that, it, that this was accomplished. Ecstatic about what direction that I think that throwing bones can go and the, and the platform that I now have to, uh, talk about myeloma and, and, um, staying physically fit and, and, and healthy through cancer. But, uh, also a bit of a letdown, um, this has been for almost two months. This has been about me. <laughs> I don't, and that's never happened in my life. Um, this was about me and about, and, and the fact that I get to control this. Um, that's, I was spoiled. So where do you think you're going to go next? So, well, event wise, we have a few events that we are conducting, not any that I'm planning on personally doing or not the ones that I'm planning on doing myself. I just did my first hundred mile attempt a couple, few weeks ago. So that was a personal thing. That was just for me. Um, but we're, we're doing, uh, we're doing again a uh, 5k and I'm going to try to get my guys to do a, make a 10k on that uh, race this year is going to be on March 9th in Black Mountain. Um, but we're also working on an ultra marathon ourselves called the uh, Bone Crusher. Um, of course. Um, and so I'm working with a, a couple of guys, um, Aaron Saft and Joe Randine, um, down in Greensboro who are hopefully, uh, hopefully helping us put this together. And that's, and we might be in September for that. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. So tell us again, uh, the website, Whoops. you're going to be, um, putting some new things up there, sure. new content. Yep. And we're also going to be talking about uh, different things. We're putting on videos out there also for myeloma patients to help them with this. And we're going to try to work on a personalized program for them. And it's throwingbonesrun.org.org. And uh, again, and so we're going to hopefully assist them with that and helping them get to achieve their goals of staying healthy and active through treatment. Well, Kenny, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, as I said in the beginning of the show, it really it takes courage um, uh, an act of bravery even. And, you know, maybe you don't think that, but I can hold mm. up a mirror and say, look, I'm telling you, buddy, this is, you know, what you're doing, how you're helping others is helping all of us. Thank so, you. I really thank appreciate you, that. Kenny. And yeah. I'd love to have you back on the show next year. I'd love to do it. You can yeah, fill us in on where you've been. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. This is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. Okay, so last week I went out and did something I had never done before. Kenny 
he went off and did something he had never done before. You go out and do something you've never done before. Face that fear right in your face. And remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Joy.